surprise, surprise, it's a surprise episode of the Nasty Pasty podcast. It's Andy Roberts here with a bit of a special gift for you all. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Callum Waddle about one of our recent podcast episodes in which we covered cannibal films, bringing us such delightful documentaries as Slice and Dice, the slasher film Forever, and Eaten Alive, the rise and fall of the Italian cannibal movie, and bringing out brilliant books like Robocop, The Definitive History, Jack Hill, The Exploitation and Blaxploitation Master, and his most recent cannibal Holocaust work, I got to chat to the K-pop-loving Scotsman himself. So at the moment, he's touring many parts of Asia in between his work with British distributor 88 Films, and I was very lucky to get to have a chat with him about the oft-times condemned cannibal genre. So, here we go, and enjoy! Hi there, Callum, and uh, welcome to uh, Nasty Pasty Podcast. I've only just um, only just started it recently, and uh, we've just released uh, an episode on cannibal movies. And I understand. Oh, awesome! That, yeah, I understand that you're a big expert on that. I've seen your documentary, which was very, very good, I have to say. Um, oh, thank you. Let's do a bit of background first. So, how did you get into exploitation films in the beginning? Um, well, I mean, really from, from childhood, I've been interested in, in horror movies. The thing with what you might consider, you know, the really, the, the sort of hardcore horror stuff, mm. I was never really much of a fan of. I always thought that horror films were about escapism and fantasy. Um, so when I, when I saw Cannibal Holocaust, I was, uh, and Cannibal Ferox actually was the first one I saw, and mm. I was only 15 when I saw Cannibal, um, I, and it was the uncut version, which I needed to get on the black market at the time. Um, I was, uh, I, I was obviously really horrified because I couldn't understand why anybody would watch films that not only, you know, slaughtered animals. So I, uh, I remember when I first saw Cannibal Holocaust, I actually taped over it. I, I just thought I was never going to want to watch it again. I suppose as I've gotten older, I think, and, and more into obviously the academic side of film yeah. and getting my PhD in film, I'm, I've become very interested in trying to work out, you know, a more formalist analysis of cinema and why these films were made. And now mm. I find Cannibal Holocaust to be a really interesting film. It doesn't mean I necessarily like it. I still think it's a very racist film, but I think it's a very interesting film. Mm. And it's a film that, you know, I was very interested in doing a book about. Yeah, Certainly well. a film that I was very interested in doing um, a documentary about. Um, I think I think that these films are really fascinating portraits of their, um, you know, Either, you know, locations which, uh, as you were at the time, such as, you know, cannibal holocaust films in, in the Amazon jungle around Letitia, yeah. Um, yeah. or kind of misrepresentations of where they are. And I, I wrote about this in, uh, in, in my cannibal holocaust book, but, you know, you have films like Last Cannibal World, which is supposed to be set in, um, um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Mindanao in the Philippines, right. which is... Uh, um, been under like you know a state of emergency and and civil fighting for quite a long time mm. but of course it was actually filmed in malaysia um with you know the 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 people portraying the cannibals are actually malaysian actors so you get this you know you get this sort of like misrepresentation of not just ethnicity but of place and yeah. i think that that's sort of also a comment on the sort of arrogance of the you know the first world filmmakers who come in and think yeah, that you know yeah. asia is asia and you know, we can do what we want. So I, th- I find that really interesting. Um, mm. There's a lot, I, I don't want to bore you to tears, but there's a lot I find really interesting about the genre, which I don't think has been analysed. What I find really tiresome 
um, mm. in reading about, you know, the, you know, reading about cannibal holocaust and cannibal ferox is that the people who are writing about them, and I, I include myself in this as well, are mm. often, you know, kind of first world people from Britain or America or parts of Europe yeah, um, who, you know, maybe haven't, I dare say, maybe traveled so much and seen quite how problematic these films are, especially with where they're pretending to be set. Mm. Um, and also kind of in, in their, you know, their, their representations. I mean, you know, I've been to Malaysia um, three times now and certainly nobody acts like Last Cannibal World, you know. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's also similar. I'm sure some of Lenzi's films are set in, um, in the Amazon or South America and actually, again, they're set in, set in actually Sri Lanka, aren't they? And it's yeah, I mean, well, Cannibal Ferox was filmed on location, but Eaten Alive, I think, is supposed to be filmed in, I think it's supposed to be set in um, New Guinea, but it was actually filmed in Sri Lanka. Yeah. I visited, actually, where, where Eaten Alive was, was filmed earlier this year. Mm. Um, and um, Man from Deep River, though, is quite interesting because it's actually it's actually set on location. So Lenzi only kind of fooled us once. Um, but Man see. from Deep River um, actually has some great shots of Bangkok. Right, yeah. Excuse me. If you, I say this in my commentary track for Man from Deep River. If you ever have the pleasure to go to Bangkok, it mm. still looks quite a lot like the opening of Man from Deep River. Oh, it does. So, um, oh. and you can still you can still take that train ride that Ivan Rasimov does to the bridge in the River Kwai. Oh no I mean, Lenzi's way! Lenzi's just filming wow. them. On a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenzi's just filming them on a tourist train, man. That tourist train goes all the time from Bangkok to the bridge on the River Kwai, <laughs> and. Where he films is not far off the bridge of the River Kwai. He films in a little kind of uh, a little kind of co- a little you know natural forest area just yeah, down there. Yeah. Of course, he's, he's suggesting it's a jungle and it's the wilds and all the rest of it, but he's <laughs> it's, it's not shot there at all. I went to where Martino and uh, um, Lindsay filmed uh, Eaten Alive, like I say in Sri Lanka, and it's a big natural park. I mean, you know, it's it's a really cool area, but it's protected with forest rangers and stuff so all right okay. so, uh, so when did you join 88 films and what exactly is it that you do for them because i've only I'm got like... still here. yeah um 80 films um i sort of i sort of joined 88 films actually in 2012 all you right. can hear all this right yeah yeah i can hear you i joined 88 films in 2012 at the time um i saw that they were releasing puppet master mm. um and I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of Puppet Master. I think it's such a beautiful film, and it's it's really well shot. Um, mm. It's shot of it's got the it's shot by Sergio Salvati, of course, who um, who filmed a lot of Lucio Fulci's great films. So it's mm. it's got it's got a really beautiful you know European look to it. Um, and of course, there's Irene, I, I, Irene Miracle in it as well, isn't there? At the first yeah, Puppet exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it sort of looks a lot like a European film, um, and, and of course, it's yeah. got the whole kind of you know Germanic identity of the puppets and everything. So I was a big fan, so I got in touch with them, and said, "Look, you know, can I can I do anything on Puppet Master?" Um, and they didn't have any money at the time, um, and uh, you know, I did the commentary and I did the booklet, and I just gradually got more involved. And it was it was just towards the end of my PhD, um, and I sort of said, you know, that I'd quite like to start coming up with ideas for branding their label, mm. I, you know, like Slasher Classics, that was me, the Italian Collection, mm. then 88 Asia, and now 88 Vol. And it, I, I really like the idea of branding these titles and labels and putting stuff in there. So mm. I've been curating their label, I guess you could say curating their label for quite a long time. I took some time off for it because, you know, I wanted to go and lecture in China and have a bit of an adventure and take advantage of my PhD. Mm. Yeah. So I was sort of hands off for a little while. Um, so I can't, you know, I can't take credit for a lot of the Italian collection. I think after about number ten, they're basically, you know, it's, it's, it's their ideas rather than mine. Mm. Slasher classics, I've, I, I, I think most of the titles I sort of acquired 
Um, Vault has been has been mainly my titles, except Creepazoids and Street Trash, which I know they got themselves. Mm. Um, all the 88 Asia films so far have been my titles that I've yeah. acquired for them. So I just really enjoy doing that. And obviously I write the booklets, do the extra features. I've been doing their PR again. I stopped doing their PR, but I'm I'm doing their, their PR again. I'm getting a lot more involved in that. Mm. Um, and I'm getting a lot more involved in other aspects of their business just now, which I'm really excited about. I really... I really appreciate the opportunity that they've given me. Mm. Um, you know, it was it's it's been great for me because it's sort of the label that I always wanted to develop because mm. at the time and I think everybody knows this and I don't obviously I don't want to, you know, badmouth them again. Yeah. But at the time I was with Arrow Video and a lot of the films which AT8 now have, mm. especially the earlier films and even the Shaw Brothers titles, I was trying to get off the ground at Arrow mm. and sort of being told that, you know, this wasn't of interest, we don't want to chase this, we want to go in a different direction. Mm. And then, you know, our Slasher Classics line take off and suddenly they're they're like, you know, we have to get Madman, we have to get the Mutilator, you know, and you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah, well, where, where were you when, you know, I was offering, when I was getting you the, the contact details of these movies, you no, know? Cause, no, of course. Um, you know, we, you know, I, I had the contacts for, I mean, you know, 88 Films were discussing the Mutilator and Madman long before um, Arrow came along and sort of like, you know, kind of, I dare say, you know, took over from yeah. <laughs> our discussions to put it politically correct. But, you know, that was because, you know, I guess I guess word had leaked out that, that we were discussing these. So, mm. Mm. you know, I, I, it's, been, it's been really great for me. I mean, it's a label that I always dreamed of of, of having, you know. Um, and yeah. uh, and I think, I th- yeah, I mean, of course, I think it's sad that, you know, these, these various titles and these various lines never happened um under uh, arrow video because they're very good at what they do and i think i was you know i was doing really good work for them but on the other hand you know i think it's great now that fans have another cult label which is i, I say cult kind in quotation marks because arrow's not really cult anymore it does so much mainstream stuff mm. but um i think it's great to have you know 88 films as that alternative that sort of bad boy alternative that's doing sort of, you know, Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies and Hong Kong horror films and, you know, yeah. slasher classics and Italian exploitation and just, just really cool stuff that you can tell, mm. you know, Arrow really didn't want to do for quite a long time. And yeah. and I know that for a fact because I was I was there. I mean, you know, I was trying to push these films into the Arrow video fold. Well, to be honest, I mean, even I could tell as, as just a consumer because I, I didn't, obviously I didn't know about much of this until I joined Twitter and kind of got the story secondhand, I guess. But you could tell that there was a definite shift in um, in what Arrow Video was sort of pushing out. And that's what kind of drove me to 88 films myself. And uh, yeah, I've just stuck with 88 ever since, really. They just tend to... Re- oh, they, thanks. Yeah, they, they, do just tend to, they do just tend to release um, kind of what what you want I, I don't know how else to describe it they just release uh, they release the films that you've been clamoring for uh, for such a long time especially I mean recently I remember that they released um, a copy of Intruder the one that uh, yeah. Uh, yeah that had uh, Bruce Campbell in it and I've been looking mm. for a copy of that for ages and the only way you could get it was um, was a, a region one disc from, from yeah the from America. One. yeah of course so and obviously back then I didn't really have um, um a sort of region-free Blu- uh, Blu-ray player or anything, so I I went to 88 and I got that version. Now, um, mm. so on the Nasty Pasty, we're we're doing a couple of um, of cannibal movies, but most recently, mm-hmm. most recently, the ones we've done are Massacre in Dinosaur Valley and um, the Green Inferno or uh, Natura Contra. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your what's your opinion of these two? I mean, I know Massacre in Dinosaur Valley has had a, a really, really nice uh, release from uh, 88. Yeah, of films. course, Cannibal Holocaust too, right? 
Yes. <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust 2 and Cannibal Ferox 2, actually. I think some of the alternative titles are. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that... Um, you know, I'll tell you a little story here, actually, which your fan might like, but I was I was in a room with Mike Lee from Vipco and Alex Shandon. Mm. Alex Shandon, of course, the, the horror film director. And, and Mike Lee stormed out the room because Alex Shandon joked that he was going to release... I can't remember what film it was, but he said he's going to release it as, like, Cannibal Ferox Part 14. And Mike Lee got so pissed off the owner of Vipco <laughs> that he stormed out the room... Uh, and I just thought it was really funny. And Alex Shannon's like, well, you know, it's true. That's what he's going to do. It was something like, yeah, you know, I think I said to, I think I was, I was in a discussion to Mike and I was like, hey, you know, are you, do you have plans to pick up? I can't remember what the film was, you know, it was just like a random Italian horror film. And yeah. he was like, and, and Alex Shannon's like, yeah, and he would release it as Cannibal Ferox Part 14. Anyway, uh, Mike Lee wasn't very impressed. Um, yeah, Massacre Down Sur Valley, I mean, it's a shame because obviously there's there's a few seconds cut out of it of, of chickens fighting each other, which uh, yes, even though yeah. I... Even though I kind of brought it to the BBFC and I said, look, you know, in, in, in Brazil in 1985, which is when it was filmed, you know, the, mm. you know, cockfighting was actually, you know, legal. Um, but they still they still wouldn't let it go. I mean, it really pissed me off because they, they pulled a the cockfighting from Man from Deep River as well. Yeah. And if you go to Thailand today, you can go and see cockfights. So, I mean, it's like, it so, is, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, odd. yeah. It's it's a bit silly. I mean, I mean, even though obviously, of course, I'm against cockfighting, I'm against blood sport, I'm against animal cruelty. But you know, it's it's if if you go to you know Thailand, you can you can pay money and see a cockfight. Obviously, you know, you shouldn't. I think it'd be terrible to fund that. But I think you know a director filming it and then putting mm. it onto a onto the the movie screen is just stupid. You know, um, that no, then you're going to say, well, we need to censor this. Um, well, but the, well, you know, that is, aside, massacre I mean, dinosaur. The thing is, I yeah. mean, uh, it's. It, it's. It, I think they're just erring on the side of caution. I mean, nowadays, because it, it is. It is actually against the law, I think, isn't it, to um, to display animal cruelty in any sense in a, in a movie. It, I mean, I know that. I, I understand that there's massive. Uh, there's massive kind of omits. You know, things that are omitted from that. I mean, Cannibal Holocaust has only got a few seconds yes. cut out of it now because the rest of them are sort of contextually justified or something like that. But I mean, I. I understand. I've seen the uncut version of Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, and even though mm-hmm. yes, I can notice that they're missing, it doesn't. Yeah. Quite, it's it's not enough to. It doesn't ruin the whole film. It's it's kind of like. Um, see, with, with Man from Deep River, I've seen the the uncut version of uh, Man from Deep River, mm. and the uncut version is very hard hitting when those when those sort of scenes turn up, and yeah, even though yeah. the '88 films version is missing. Removes a bit of that kind of savagery. I expect. I, I think you, okay, you expect. Sure. But but it's still. Mm-hmm. But the point of Man from Deep River is is the kind of. It, it's a bit more a, a deeper story than than that really, and I think it works without it. You know, it's it's just one mm-hmm. of the, it's one of those examples of a cannibal movie where actually the the characters and the story are actually much more intrinsical than the than the scenes of the animal slaughter. So, I mean, it kind of yeah. works for Man from Deep River, but with with Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, I just kind of it's no skin off the nose, you know. I even told the people I was watching it with that it was like, oh yeah, there's a few bits cut out here. Just said it's just some cockfighting, you know. And they went, oh right, okay. They they can kind of get what's happening anyway. I mean. There's a few, you know, arbitrary shots afterwards of uh, the cockerels kind of just walking away from each other. So you kind of, <laughs> you can, can kind of get what's going on anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'd, I'd agree with you. I, I don't think, I don't think it's a massive, you know, loss to to human art or anything that you're missing a few seconds of that. I guess, 
I guess for the completest fans, I think it's a video nasty mentality where, you know, you still know you're missing something. Mm. So you can't quite, ha- you know, having it on yourself is, is kind of like having syphilis in a way. You sort of, you know, you need to resist it. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I don't I don't really understand that. But I, you know, I, you know, I'm a European customer, so you can make your choice, I suppose. Mm. In terms of Massacre of Dinosaur Valley, I, I quite like... I mean, when I first saw the film, I thought it was really long-winded and really silly and really goofy. I sort of like it now, but I like the fact that after, you know, Cannibal Ferox, the cannibal genre sort of becomes really wacky and really, you know, kind of fun rather than inherently, you know, grim and misogynistic. Because really after Holocaust, and I mean, I suppose you're seeing a little bit of it in Cannibal Ferox because it's so stupid, but um, Mm. I think after the, the tone of Cannibal Holocaust and the sheer nastiness of it, you sort of, you know, you, plus you've got to remember, Cannibal Holocaust was filmed in 1979. Mm. Even by 1985, you're sort of venturing into, I dare say, a slightly more political world. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think you can have the same sort of, you know, and you've got to remember as well, you, you've, you, you know, you have the Reagan administration and you have their interference in Latin America, obviously mm. most notably um, Nicaragua. So you sort of have this idea that people who you are. Your government is, you know, the American government is repressing. And, you know, I say the American government, but by extension, Europe sort of, you know, tends to go along with American foreign policy a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I think by extension of that, you sort of have in Massacre in Dinosaur Valley a more a more kind of hands off approach to representing the the, the native people. So it's not Mm -hmm. as it's still trouble. It's still troubling, but it's not it's not like as degrading as Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. And I think you, you obviously you obviously see in Cannibal Holocaust too, where, you know, the natives are not actually that threatening. They're not such, you know, nasty people anymore. No. Um, no. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's because, as I say, the world has changed a lot. Mm. So I think that, I, I think the depictions of Cannibal Holocaust, which in 1979, I suppose, you know, before the American um, government at least so publicly started to get involved in um, Latin American politics. I know that Mm. obviously you'd had the assassination of Salvador Allende in Chile and Pinochet, obviously, but, um, you know, that was a big foreign policy thing of the Reagan government to get even more involved. And I think as a result of that, you know, showing these people as savages becomes more problematic in the 80s. I mean, that's mm. just my very loose thesis of it yeah, um, yeah. on why these films become so daft and so much more fun mm. than the, the real, the real, the really grim and quite, you know, quite troubling ethnographies of, of Cannibal Holocaust and, of course, Cannibal Ferox too. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I remember when I first watched Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, it is it is just quite stark how the contrast is, really, between Massacre in Dinosaur Valley and something like Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, the, the nastiness is still... It's kind of there in little bits and droves, but it's kind of mm. done in a such a such a silly and cheesy context that it, just, it does just lift off the screen and just come across as just fun. I mean, I don't think there's any maliciousness whatsoever in something like Ma- Massacre in Dinosaur Valley. It tends to... I mean, there's a there's a little bit here and there, but it's... Mm. Just, the t- just the tone of it is completely different to something like Holocaust. And then, when you get to the Green Inferno, it's it's kind of moved on again from, like, almost... We're showing you less nastiness, but now it's, it seems to progress to we're apologising for all of our previous nastiness. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the whole film, I, know, I know. Yeah, the whole film does just feel like a huge apology and say, look, look, here's some Western characters who are not dicks, should we say? Here's, yeah. here's, here's some here's some natives who are not cannibalistic savages. 
here's some, you know, here's some people who like animals who don't actually Yeah, I know. There's, there's this whole environmental element to Cannibal Holocaust 2, which is really surreal, especially given the director, who was obviously involved in Mondo Cinema. So it's it's sort of... It's, yeah, it's like a PG-rated cannibal film, isn't it? It it really, really is. I mean, I mean, I found it quite surprising because yeah, it was um, Antonio Clamati, wasn't it? Who um, yeah, who got got his footing in Mondo Carne and all sorts of yep. all sorts of nastiness, really. And I mean, yeah. I mean, in fact, it, it kind of it kind of solidifies what you were saying earlier that um, the people who were making these films are kind of first worlders who don't really have a right to kind of comment on the nastiness, and yet. You have this chap, you know, Antonio Clemati, who started off in such, you know, quite quite foul cinema, you could say, and to yeah. make it for him to make this kind of apologising thing, it's it's a bit hypocritical, and and it doesn't really work that way because you know exactly what he's been getting up to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I sort, I sort of like Cannibal Holocaust too, and it's own sort of like really daft way but um I, I mean i totally agree with everything that that you're saying i mean these were first world filmmakers some of them from incredibly wealthy backgrounds most notably obviously um ruggiero diodato but you know the, the interesting thing is that antonio clamati he had done savage man savage beast which is a really harrowing really brutal film but i suppose you could argue that in its own sort of mondo exploitation way does say you know we're against hunting that hunting is barbaric look at how animals are killed you know mm. um i'm not sure I, I i mean i've mark you know mark goodo actually writes about it quite well in a book called sweet and savage which is a book mm. on the mondo film um i mean i'm not i'm not sure i'd entirely go along with i mean the, you know the whole mondo thing is of course you know we're going to condemn something but we're going to show you it isn't it um yeah but you know like like i say i think i think the big i think the big problem ultimately with these films exactly what you know you just said to me um which i said earlier which is that a lot of these directors who will pretend or at least you know give you their dying word that they really really cared about the the, the native people were ultimately from very very wealthy stock mm. and were going out to parts of the world which were often as is the case with colombia in 1979 in a state of you know guerrilla warfare yeah. civil war i mean the nobel peace prize winner last year which was a colombian president um, had just ended, you know, had managed to grab a ceasefire with the Marxist guerrillas who were, you know, shooting up the Amazon at that time and mm. basically, you know, holding people at gunpoint um, to, you know, produce drugs which they could sell to buy arms at the time. And, you know, who's out there filming Cannibal Holocaust at the time was Gerald Diodato. And I think you would need to be very naive not to imagine that he was certainly benefiting from the chaos out there yes. which made people very desperate for money and mm. which allowed him to ultimately enact a fairly fascist vision um onto the world and you know whatever we think of cannibal holocaust i think some of it is is you know quite well done i think you know from a technical standpoint some of it is quite well made mm. i think that the acting is very good but as i write in my book um mm. on the film and which hasn't really been analyzed you know this was a first world born into quite considerable wealth, European, you know, benefiting from a part of the world that was in utter disarray and causing misery for, you know, thousands of misplaced people in the Amazon who were having to leave their homes because there was, you know, there was a civil war and mm. the civil war was heightened in this border that he happened to be filming on. So, you know, put two and two together and see if you get four, basically. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe that's why Cannibal Holocaust 2 does feel a bit like an apology, but I don't I don't know. 
uh, yeah, I think it, I think regardless, it's in, it's enjoyable kind of a Holocaust too. I mean, it's not it's, it's not, fun, yeah. Yeah, it's not particularly kind of grim. It's it's quite light. It's quite um, it's it's quite che- quite a cheery film really, and it's it's good actually to just see in a kind of horror context some protagonists who are actually quite um quite able to defend themselves and they're quite clever and they're quite it's quite refreshing even though it's you don't really sense any danger coming to them Mm. it's it's very refreshing to actually see resourceful protagonists who are not you know dicks basically so i mean it's fun on that level too because it kind of it's kind of destroying all your um expectations of what a cannibal film should be while at the same time it feels a little bit like um a National Geographic film, you know, because it's <laughs> it's it's got all these cause it's got all these sequences where it's just kind of exposition about various animals and various bits of the jungle yeah. and custom. It does feel very Mondo-esque, really, as much as it can be, um, without being kind of offensive. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good actually. That's a really good spot-on analysis, I would say, to be honest with you. I think what you've just said there is mm. yeah, I'd agree with. I mean, because you know, most of the nastiness is gone, which doesn't really fit Clamati whatsoever, but. You can see mm. that Clamati has come from that background because the film is as close to a mondo as as you can get. It's it's almost like they've just kind of weaved this um, this narrative around these exposition scenes in order to make it sort of like an interactive um, education film, really. Some some parts yeah. are anyway. Um, we're, mm. we're we're also covering on the show. I mean, some of the lesser examples, which I know that you're probably not fond of. Um, Stuff like um, Amazonia, the Catherine Miles story, and there's also Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, which I think is um, the Jess Franco one from Eurocine. So, understandably, you're not fond of them because I I know that some of them are not particularly enjoyable. Oh, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm, I can't, I can't comment on Diamonds of Kilimanjaro because I've never actually seen it. So, so there you go. Um, mm. I'm not, I'm not huge. Sure I mean, I, I, I love his films and kind of more of his, uh, but I think when he gets to his Eurocine period, generally less interested um but in terms of in terms of amazonia um basically you know with a cannibal film background um mm. what can i say about it it's it's a bit it's a bit of a silly one isn't it um yes definitely i yeah i don't i mean i would i would i can watch it and i've I, i've i've seen it i think twice um i don't like i say i mean you know i don't i don't think it's especially you know unwatchable i i just think it's very mediocre i think that the thing with the cannibal films is, you know, you, you sort of have a love or, or hate opinion of them. You either go, yeah, this is sort of really gritty and horrible and nasty and, you know, I like it and I want to horrify my friends, you know, because it's really a genre which is a bit like chewing your food and then opening your mouth to show your friend, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit like um, the YouTube sensation of kind of finding the most gross-out video that you can and just subjecting your exact- friends to it on a whim. Yeah, exactly. So the cannibal films tend to, you know, warrant fairly extreme reactions, at least, you know, the first time you, this, you see them. Mm. I think the big problem with, with Amazonia is you just kind of go, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. You know? It's it's not particularly bad, but it's not particularly great either. It's just kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets it gets lost a lot in the shuffle, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I always I always kind of consider these to be a, a, a loose trilogy. Um, you know, Amazonia, then Dinosaur Valley, then um, The mm. Green Inferno. I sort of consider them to be a sort of loose trilogy films, in the sense that you know the cannibal genre has this one last gasp, and it's three films back to back, which yeah. are, you know operating in the same genre as what has come before but trying to tame it down yeah and they're trying to tame it down in various different ways so you know amazonia is is trying to give you a love story you know and you sort of wonder who wanted to see a cannibal film love story 
Um, <laughs> although I suppose you can go back to Man from Deep. I suppose Man from Deep River has a love story as well. But this mm. is all about the love story. It's all about the romance. Yeah. Um, and then it ends really cynically and really pessimistically. Basically, you know, the, the, the third world native is not going to get to go to the first world with the beautiful blonde lady. So mm. it's a doomed romance, you know. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in its own way, sort of fairly racist for doing that. Um, but I think um, I think it's okay. And then a Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, of course, goes the Indiana Jones route or Romancing the Stone, I suppose. Mm. You know, it's sort of it's Alan Quartermain, but with a cannibal movie background. <laughs> and then you've got Cannibal Holocaust 2, which, like you say, is more like a, you know, a nature documentary, more of an apology for what's come before. Mm. So I just think they were trying to figure out a way to sort of gain money from the genre. But, you know, not to scare off buyers, because I imagine a lot of foreign buyers had maybe purchased the rights to something like Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Ferox, only to find out they couldn't release it because, mm. you know, it was, so it was too Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you, you, obviously, by the time you get another important thing, by the time you get to um, Amazonia, you're right in the, the the tail end of the video nasty scandal, so you've lost the, the British market if you do anything too extreme. Yeah. And you know you've got to remember that there were also video scandals in West Germany at the time. Mm. There were video scandal scandals in uh, in um, some of the Scandinavian countries, I think Denmark and Norway. Mm. So you're starting to lose markets where before you could have stuff on unrated on videotape. Um, you know the the UK wasn't the only country to say you know this stuff's too extreme, we can't have it available mm. for basically, you know, home viewing anymore. Yeah, yeah, so cool. I think that also plays into why these films were becoming tamed down. You know, you, you, I don't think you could do Cannibal Holocaust again. I suppose Cut and Run is a good example of that. I mean, it's not really, I don't consider it a cannibal film. It's why I don't talk about it in Alive, mm. because there is no cannibalism. Mm. But it is sort of like retreading the the sort of, you know, white people getting lost in a jungle making a documentary sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's still not extreme. And you can tell this because even the UK video release of Cut and Run, you know, it's not that different from the uncensored version. There's not a huge amount missing from if my mind, you know, serves me clearly. Um, but I think I think it had to be watered down in order for Cut and Run to obviously get the sort of video release it got. And back in mm. 1985 or 1986, Cut and Run got a pretty big UK video release, and I think it got a pretty big release in American videotape as well. All right. And I doubt it would have had that if it had been like Cannibal Holocaust. Mm. I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Cut and Run actually, because um, we've actually got Cut and Run on the on the podcast later on um, this uh, well early on next year, um, and, it, and I have put down that it's kind of a pseudo cannibal flick. It's it's not really a cannibal film in the sense that, that there's no cannibals in it, but it does have those sort of small elements of cut and run and but we're also we're also covering um emmanuel and the last cannibals as well which is again it's ah. not it's, it's not quite your typical cannibal film but but important nonetheless you know very yeah yeah i mean i mean what do we bum me out about Manuel and the last cannibal films is that um i was really excited for 88 films to get it it's another film that i tried to get done at arrow mm. and the 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 label manager at the time used to go to the bbfc website incessantly and uh, he found out Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals had been censored, and he said, "Well, I'm not going to take a risk on it." Mm. And, and I, you know, I begged him and said, "Look, you know, this is not going to be censored. You know, there's nothing in it." But you know, wouldn't believe me. Um, and I think, I think one of the, the unfortunate things is, and by the time Tate got it, and again, I, I take, you know, I said Tate that they really needed to get it because I, I quite like the film. Mm. Um, I was sort of, I was moving, I was leaving the UK, so unfortunately. You know, I, I couldn't kind of 
kick their butts into a special edition of it, which it deserves because I do think it's a really quite important um, film. Mm. It's the first film, of course, that takes the cannibal film to Latin America, even though it wasn't filmed in Latin America. It was filmed in a, a national park in Italy. Uh, mm. But mm. I think I think it's I think it's an important film for that reason. Um, mm. I think it's one of the films which does wonderful things to misappropriate where it is and um jody amato is is obviously kind of having fun with it yes. um yeah for, for i mean i've read so many reviews of emmanuel and the last cannibals and again you know i i kind of get some shit from fans who think that you know how can you write about films that you're not especially you know you're not a big fan of and it's like well that's what makes you know criticism and you know academic discussions so interesting yeah but of course yeah. i think i think that um what was bothering me about the cannibal films is how badly documented they've, they've generally been by people. I mean, if you read a lot of reviews online of a man young last cannibals, you know, nobody, very few people seem to pick up on the fact that it's filmed in a national park in Italy. But, mm. you know, Diomato's sort of consistently showing people that, you know, this is not Amazonia. There's a scene in it, for instance, where uh, Laura Gemser plays with a chimpanzee mm. and, you know, you don't get chimpanzees in, uh, in um, you know, the country of Colombia. To, no. to, to put it quite blunt to people you also don't get burmese pythons and you know a, a burmese python drops on her you know mm, um yeah i mean and it's sort of it's there's yeah. a, there's, there's definitely a, there's definitely a massive element of silliness to emmanuel and the last cannibals but but it does but it does set up some of those really kind of what what, what would become essential kind of tokens of the, of the genre you know with the um I'm sure she she shows to her sort of uh, fella that there's this uh, the footage, this kind of mondo footage almost. And yeah, found footage. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and it's it's the first time I think the found footage had kind of been inserted, shall we say, pr- prior to uh, something like Cannibal Holocaust. And there is a lot of elements to it that kind of it raises it out of the um, it raises it out of its kind of sexploitation origins. Because I know that um, Damato yeah. Damato went on to do. Uh, a lot more kind of cannibal sexy type movies that were set in the caribbean yeah 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 i mean i mean obviously the the, the most famous one is um uh help me emmanuel in america where you really get that fine footage and you really get that um that aspect of of you know snuff movie making and stuff mm. so um and yeah emmanuel in america's it's got this reputation as being really grim but it's actually kind of really daft and really fun as well it's just that that you know the stuff movie footage which is chucked in at the end mm. almost as an afterthought and it's sort of the same with Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals I think because Diomato is very how should I say he's his narratives are a little bit like um you know the movie The Room right Tommy Wiseau oh, oh yeah yeah I, I'm a big yeah, fa- his, I'm a big it, fan it, of that film. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but but his films sort of have the same sort of lack of narrative coherence a lot of the time, where he's mm. doing them so quickly that you have interesting ideas raised and then completely dropped, and you sort of get that in Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals with the found footage aspect, and then you get it in Emmanuel in America, where the revelation is that there's snuff movie movies being made in in latin america and you know she can't remember if it was real or false Mm. and she discovers this at the end but then it all ends with her in a native village and it's all a bit of a joke and Mm. you sort of go well how come i'm supposed to be laughing at the end here and like you know 15 minutes ago you were showing me people being tortured to death so (laughs) his films are sort of all yeah his films are sort of all over the place you know kind of kind of like you know before the room happened um Mm. i i mean he's a far more talented director and Tommy Wissu, obviously, because, you know, he also made some films that I'm a big, you know, I think are actually quite coherent and very watchable. But I think it's, I think it's a problem with Diomato. He sort of comes up with ideas, but doesn't really know how to 
sees him through. I mean, if you mm. look at um, the first, uh, I'm trying to think, the first Black Emmanuel that Diodato did, I, I can't, I can't name it off the top of my head. I'm sorry, so no, I, I, okay. I'll cease commenting on just in case it isn't him that directed it. But um, I was, you know, you, you see it in a lot of his films anyway. The idea of the, uh, of you know, you have these these quite grand ideas. And mm. then, um, and then they never quite sort of reach a conclusion that you feel satisfied with. But I suppose that's part of why we love a lot of these, you know, less regarded Italian exploitation mm. filmmakers because they sort of operate on their own rules, right? And yeah, they're, yeah, they're making a buck fast and doing their own thing, you know. I mean, I think, but yeah, I'm a big. I think that's I think that's what kind of contributed, I think, to a lot of the kind of reaction that these films got in Britain in the early '80s. I mean, mm. a lot of the a lot of the Italian films are shot in kind of such a just jointed and you know visibly no, noticeably different way that i think um you know lots of people who were kind of used to conventional filmmaking should we say that kind of safety net is kind of ripped out from under their feet and they think that that you know when they do get to the na- kind of nasty bits in these films mm. that it's 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 not in the same sort of narrative context should we say that they're used to and so it kind of it kind of yeah. gets under their skin just a little bit more but but i find that that's the biggest uh, kind of draw for these films for me i mean just that kind of suspension of like what what to expect and i mean obviously now i've watched so many i've kind of i've learned to like what to expect from most of them but it's still a really really good way of um experiencing film i think the italians don't really do it any like that anymore you know we don't get films like this anymore yeah i mean i mean the thing i was going to mention obviously is you know diomato took over the um emmanuel films and he set them in quite interesting parts of the world but he doesn't often follow up with them um so i'm going to take a gamble here and i hope i'm right i think he directed emmanuel in the white slave trade um mm. i know he didn't direct the first black emmanuel but what's really interesting about both the first black emmanuel and emmanuel in the white slave trade is that they're both set in in kenya and um but they don't really do anything with it so you're sort of left going okay that's kenya that's really beautiful shots of kenya you know mm. okay so we're, we're traveling through nairobi um but then you know nothing's done with it it's the idea of emmanuel as a investigative seductive sort of journalist but you know they're in this amazing setting but you wonder why they're in the setting mm. and you know you get a little bit of that with Emmanuel and the last cannibals I mean okay he's you know he's supposed to be in the Amazon but nothing much is really done with with the idea of her exploring in the Amazon or why she's even exploring in the Amazon mm. and I think I think it's a I think at least the one thing you can say about the later cannibal films that Lenzi did and that Diodato did is that they have a they have a fundamental basis for why their characters need to be in Latin America and mm. why it's important for them to be in this part of Latin America. Obviously, in the case of Cannibal Holocaust, it's because of an ethnographic documentary. Mm. Obviously, in the case of Cannibal Ferox, they get involved in the cocaine trade and she's doing her PhD in, uh, in the, the mythology of, of cannibalism and why she believes that actually it's not true. Yeah. yeah. So you, you at least have justification for it. I think the reason that the um, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals and some of the other earlier cannibal films are less regarded is because there isn't a immediate need for them to be in these parts of the world, which is why, you know, you get Sri Lanka misappropriated as New Guinea or mm. uh, misappropriated as yeah, New Guinea, or you get um, the Philippines reimagined as Malaysia because, you know, it could be anywhere. These, these films are not essential to be where they are, whereas Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox, at least fundamentally, and I suppose Man from Deep River because he's going to the Burmese border in Burma, was yeah, uh, yeah. was was obviously politically very un- unstable back then. So you have this idea of uh, in these three films, at least you have a purpose for them to be there. Mm. I think in the other cannibal films, you don't you don't have that so much, and certainly not in Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, where you know she could have 
yeah, she could have been in New Guinea, she could have been in, you know, the Philippines, she could have been anywhere. No, I, um, yeah, that, I get that. that. That you can imagine third world people, you know. So mm. I think I think the reason that, that Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust really have managed to live on so much is that they do a lot more with where they are. They have to be in that part of the world. The stories are set there. The people have to be there. Mm. You know, for things to happen, they need to have these locations. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's my big problem with Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals and some of you know the other cannibal films is that you know they they don't really have a justification for being where they are it's like they're making it up as they go along and Emmanuel yeah. and the last cannibals although it's important for giving us latin america as the first place that these films are based um it does it does feel like it doesn't really need to be in latin america i think part of maybe why it was was to capitalize on the success of snuff right because you had to the, um, snuff the Roberta Finley film, um, and that was uh, that was saying you know it was filmed in Latin America where life is cheap. So you get the idea yeah, that yeah, if we're going if we're going to deal with fake snuff films, it's got to be Latin America, and you see that in Emmanuel in America as well. So mm. you know I guess it's I get I, I guess in their own way they're every bit as racist as what came after, right? Because it's the sort of thing that you know Latin America is lawless. Well, that, well that's and, just that's uh, just know, the this, problem with um, that's just the problem with exploitation, isn't it? In, in general, I mean they they exploit as much as they can and i think emmanuel is, is is no different i mean part of part of me thinks that you know lots of joe d'amato films uh, they they do tend to kind of they've only got kind of one thing on their mind i mean they they often clash exotic locations with something else but well i know with emmanuel and the last cannibals it, it, it definitely does have that thing you're talking about where it doesn't quite need to be set in a particular place because I think the focus of that movie is basically Laura Gemser, you know, <laughs> and most yeah. of the other women in it, you know, really. So it's um, it, it's interesting. Do, do you um, you mentioned the room? Do, have you ever seen uh, Troll Two by uh, Claudio Fragasso? Yeah, of course, and the wonderful documentary on Troll Two as well. Yeah, um, which is which is fabulous. Uh, yeah, I, I have seen Troll Two, and it's a, obviously it's a, a, a you know a hilarious film and yeah. you know brilliant to watch. Well, do you know? Um, Laura Gemser actually worked on that film. I did, yeah. I yeah. mean, she, she actually, I, 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 you know, I interviewed Al Cleaver um, last year, and he was he was telling me that Laura Gemser, you know, f- you know, retired from acting because uh, Gabrielle Tinty, um, her husband, was ill, and then you know, eventually passed away. Mm. Um, but he said she really just didn't want to work with anybody but Jodie Amato, who she had a very good rapport with. So she went on to to work behind the scenes with someone on some of his work. I mean, mm. she's a remarkable woman. And I would very much like to get in touch with her. Mm. She's really the first Indonesian sex symbol, and. I really, you know, coming from a society which is quite as repressive as Indonesia, and uh, mm. remember it's a very religious society, um, obviously, you know, coming to Europe, um, I presume she must have come to Europe very shortly after, shortly before uh, Indonesia became independent from the Dutch. Um, mm. I, I, I would love to hear her story. I would love to hear her background. I would love to hear the background of her parents. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, how much of her career was was her rebelling against obviously what, what would have been you know um it, you know possibly a conservative background i don't know for sure i just mm. like to hear a lot more of her and and i feel these questions haven't been answered so i, I find yeah. laura games are totally fascinating i mean not only that she's obviously one of the most beautiful women that's ever lived i mean you know there's <laughs> there's no question in that whatsoever and i can see why she had you know the success that she had i mean mm. you know she looks great with or without clothes and she's a very you know she's quite a good good actress actually she's quite a good performer mm. um and she's uh you know the camera loves her i mean i remember the very first time i um i watched a laura gemser film with the with um naomi uh, my partner mm. we watched um i'm trying to think which one it was 
I think it might have been Emmanuel in the last Cannibals. And, you know, Naomi was sitting with me and just said, I, I can't take my eyes off Laura Gemser, you know. I mean, I can't stop looking at her. I mean, she's, she's absolutely perfect, you mm. know. Uh, and it's very weird that somebody comes along like that and, and really is that beautiful um, on camera. I, I, I wonder if she would be a superstar if she was the same age that she was then today yeah. and, and, and came came along, you know. I mean, she, she's an absolute revelation. I'd love to do a documentary on Laura Gemser. I'd love to to really kind of find out, you know, a, a lot more about her. I think she's she's incredible. And I, th- I think she's actually quite an empowering woman, like I say. I mean, you know, being the very first Indonesian sex symbol in the 1970s and, and yet being represented as Black Emmanuel when she's actually, you know, from Southeast Asia is sort of funny. So, yeah, I think she's <laughs> yeah. awesome. No, I, 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 to be honest, I think so too. I mean, when you kind of... When you kind of have the image in your head that there's this, you know, this uh, sex siren basically, who's who's got so much um, so much power on camera, and she also kind of, you know, did these little kind of nasty kind of goblin outfits for for one of the you know best first <laughs> movies ever. It's someone like that is yeah. is someone that you'd like to meet just just to see the, those kind of those flip sides of the of the character. But um, we're doing um, some more cannibal films in future. But do um, do eighty eight films have any plans to release any more in the the future? Because I think that um, I think I read that Shameless Films were releasing a a version of Mountain of the Cannibal God in. Um... Yeah, we had the chance to get Mountain of the Cannibal God. We decided against it because I mean, Man from Deep River was sort of an experiment for us, and I really wanted eighty eight films to get Man from Deep River. I thought it would, I thought it would do you know fairly decently even in its cut form. Um, and uh, it's it's actually it's actually done quite disappointing sales, you know. We're we're hoping for a little bit more from it. So mm. we've we've decided to sort of um, be very cautious with with getting titles that might be quite so heavily censored. And I in the see. case of Mountain of the Cannibal, in the case of Mountain of the Cannibal God, of course, you've got the the monkey and the python, mm. um, and you've also got you've got the the monitor lizard being being split in two. And I think both of these scenes are are, are likely to be um, to be cut. Um, I mean, I wish Shameless well with it. Garwin from Shameless is is a, a really nice gentleman, and you know, I hope he does really good business with it. Mm. Um, you know, I think I think it's just a very difficult difficult thing to to convince fans. Okay, this is you know cut a little bit, but it's still it's still worth getting. Mm. Um, we we are looking at one of the Italian cannibal films for possible distribution in the UK, but obviously we can't. You know, I don't want to spoil it right now. No, no, of course. Um, 88, 88 films are, are, you know, in discussion about it right now, and um, I mean, yeah, of course, it would be it'd be great to do another cannibal film. It's a really interesting genre, but mm. it's one we need to be very kind of cautious about in terms of the BBFC um, interference. Um, we definitely plan to do more zombie films. Um, oh, great! But yeah, the cannibal the, the cannibal films just need to need to wait and see, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely understand. I mean. Um, I, I remember seeing a couple of the um, the cannibal films on the the infamous Vipco DVDs that are that are still kind of being redistributed around now because I think I think actually a lot of the films are only available like sort of legally in the UK on these these Vipco DVDs which are you know well butchered to say the least butchered worse than the people in the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you've got that's good that you've got zombie films coming out. We we all love zombie films. <laughs> well, we, we we hope to. We're we're you know we're we're discussing some stuff right now with uh with with one of the licensors and um you know just just looking to see where it goes. I mean we've got a huge amount more Shaw films signed. We've got our Korean films coming up. Mm. Um, and we've got uh I just we just got a new vault title. Um, this this actually two new vault titles this week. Um, we've got um 
no, three more. Sorry, three. I, we've, we've managed to get three more vault titles this week and three more slashers mm. um, this week. So, uh, you know, I remain really busy trying to get stuff for 88 films, trying to get some really good stuff. Um, I'm really excited about the 88 vault line. I mean, I, I really want to keep that going and keep pushing it. Mm. Um, obviously, the slasher line, you know, we're heading up to slasher number 40 now with the amount that we've got planned. Mm. Um, mm. I just heard from Richard just uh, about an hour ago, right before you called, saying that, you know, we... We want to do some announcements um, maybe towards the end of the year about what we're going to have for 2018. All right. But, yeah, def- definitely exciting stuff ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm really – I mean, I I love doing stuff for 80 films. I love I love being able to sort of, you know, bring stuff to a label which mm. is enthusiastic um, mm. and and willing to take chances, you know, and, mm. and that's that's what we're doing. So The thing is you can, t- you can tell because whenever I pop an 88 uh, film into, you know, the machine, you can always tell that there's just – there's a kind of care and attention to the the material that you, you don't really get with lots of other labels. I mean, Shameless Films do, does it as well, and I think Arrow to an extent do it. Um, but, but but yeah, there's definitely a kind of sensibility that you know it's like we know you've got this film because you want to watch something that's just you know absolutely fun and and ridiculous to boot, and and they they kind of play on that and the whole like the way that the materials displayed um, all the special features it's all it's all really really good so especially with the um, the vault line you were mentioning i mean a previous well an episode that's coming up next actually next uh, tuesday is uh, covering the uh, 1970s hippie uh, film um, i drink your blood which i believe yeah what a great is, movie it is um, i mean it's it's kind of a pseudo cannibal uh, no pseudo zombie uh, theme next time so it's um it's mm. kind of tapping in on that whole that I drink your blood is very very zombie film like but without being but without being actually about zombies but um yeah what what a what a great movie i mean just so so bizarre and i and again i'd never heard of it before before the 88 films made their announcement really and then i just as soon as i heard about it i was like i've got to watch this <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that that that's that's a film that I was I, I really wanted to launch Eight Eight Vault with that and Joe Bullitt, although Joe Bullitt has sold horribly, so um I don't know they might they might deduct my my pay this month, but um <laughs> I, I you know so I was really disappointed that nobody went out and got Joe Bullitt because I think it's such an important film you know it's the, banned by the apartheid government. Yeah, I was going to say that's the the African film, isn't it? Yeah, very much. It was it was made in South Africa when South Africa was under apartheid, um, and it was the very first all black film, uh, at least in terms of of actors. It was made in South Africa, and it's a really cool little movie. Um, I showed it to Eli Roth, and Eli Roth was like, you know, I really this is excellent, you know. Mm. Um, so so I was I was really hoping it would it would kind of do business, and it's it's really tanked, unfortunately, um, which is oh. annoying. Uh, because obviously, you know, Vault was the idea that we're going to we're going to get stuff that you've possibly not heard of or that hasn't been out in the UK since the days of VHS. Mm. And I know that we've, we've we've been a little bit cheeky with that because we've got Creepsoids in there and we've got Street Trash in there. But generally, it's sort of your VHS films and your old Grindhouse films. And yeah. I thought Joe Bullet was a you know this is this is Vault. This is what we're doing. It's, it's stuff you might not have heard of, but you know you should see this. Mm. But um, so that was a, that was a little bit disappointing for me. Um, but we've got dogs coming up on 88 Vault and, uh, and you know, some other nice surprises, um, including a, a, a sequel to a, a, you know, a very famous movie, which in the sequel's hardly ever been seen. So we've got that coming up. So mm. we're, we're doing, you know, we're, we're trying to do stuff which is, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit different, you know. Um, I mean, mm. I've got to say, I, th- I think what, what, what Arrow are doing just now is, is really fantastic. I think the 4K scans... And I think some of the packaging that they do is really imaginative and really creative. I mean, you know, mm. I, I, 
obviously I've, I've had problems with the way they've they've dealt with me in the past mm. um but I, I think what they're doing is is you know is is quite interesting i just think that you know um the the obviously the the people in in the the office and they've got multiple 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 staff they've got loads of staff mm. you know they're you know their whole direction when i was on the way out was you know we're, we really want to change direction we want to be you know we're, we're we're not going to necessarily be looking at you know slasher movies and stuff like this so i think that I think that, as I say, what I always wanted 88 films to be, and ultimately mm. I'm not the final say. I mean, it's Richard and James, the guy in charge, and they're both really, you know, valued friends of mine. Mm. Um, but what I think, you know, 88 does really well uh, is, you know, this idea of these are films that you won't get anywhere else. So it's it's just a little bit, I suppose, because some of these releases feel like my babies. It's really sad when a Joe Bullock comes out and, you know, I have to be told that the sales aren't so good, you know. Mm. You're just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I guess sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. But mm. I really hope that maybe even listen to this podcast, some fans will kind of give vault, the, the vault range a little bit more attention and mm. recognize mm. what it is we're doing with it. I mean, it's, it's, it's hopefully going to be some films that you didn't expect to ever see on Blu-ray yeah. coming along, yeah. you know, like Dogs. I mean, who could have thought you'd see Dogs on UK Blu-ray, you know, I mean, it's... Well, I've never even heard of Dogs, film. I mean, to be honest. I've, I've it's never... cool, it's a really cool movie, man, you're going to yeah. love it. I, I'm I'm going to get it, just, just really, just from looking at the artwork, that artwork is amazing, so just... So, yeah. I mean, I'm going to pick up a copy of Dogs as soon as I can, but, um, yeah, uh, well, hopefully, because we are covering a, a lot of 88 titles uh, later on on the podcast, just because, you know, they are cool. from that, they are from that kind of video nasty era without actually being nasties themselves. <laughs> I was going to ask then, uh, so do you actually have a favourite cannibal movie of, of your own? The one that you kind of find the most interesting? Well, the most interesting, I think, is by far Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I think that goes without saying. It's, it's the one which obviously holds itself up to analysis and everything. Um, mm. I would say that the, the, the one that I find the, the, the most enjoyable just to watch is probably... Um, Probably Man from Deep River, but I'd sort of I'd prefer to watch it in its slightly censored version. Um, maybe Last Cannibal World actually. Last Cannibal World is is quite an intense little film, and it's actually mm. quite scary. It's the only one I think of as really being quite creepy. Mm. So yeah, Last Cannibal World is probably my favourite one. Um, but I suppose if I, you know, if I, if I wanted to have a less grim night in, it would maybe be Man from Deep River. But Cannibal Holocaust is obviously the one that I tell people to watch before any yeah, others because yeah. it's the most interesting. I mean, me, me and my friends actually, um, a lot of them hadn't seen the the kind of triage of, of cannibal movies, like the you know uh, Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, and also Mountain of mm-hmm. the, the Cannibal God by Sergio yeah, Martino. Yeah, the, the video nasty trilogy, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, I mean, by Deep River Savages, I suppose as well. Man from Deep River is a video nasty. So. Well, there's also, I mean, Cannibal Terror was also on the list and then there was savage terror as well which was on the section three i mean cannibal terror is absolutely yeah savage savage terror i think probably needs more attention i was a bit i was a bit bummed i couldn't go into that more in the the documentary but savage terror is quite interesting because it was made in indonesia and i think that there's i think there's a lot to be written about indonesian Mm. um uh b movies um indonesian exploitation films Mm. but cannibal uh, savage terror i find quite interesting because it's it's again given us quite um, racist betrayals of local people, um, but yeah, it's made in a, a former colony, and of mm. course, it's made in, in the third world. So, I think Savage Terror is really, um, really quite an interesting film, and probably should be. You know, if we could find the right holders for that, even though I th- it would it would be slightly censored, I'd 
probably want to get that out in the UK. I'd probably want to release that on on Blu-ray, to be honest. So I'd, I'd say that's yeah, a, because that, that's a film. Yeah, yeah, because it's um, it, it, there's not really any sort of cannibalism in it, but it is very interesting in, in in terms of it is like the only one that's from Asia, and but yeah, there is yes. um, there is a lot of animal brutality in it, uh, which, which is the only really kind of contentious thing about it. So I imagine it probably would be censored, but I think it needs to be seen. I mean. Just the fact that it opens. I agree. I agree. Just the fact that it opens with that weird kind of craftwork song, and it's it got does, this, doesn't it? It does. Uh, clearly, clearly, they didn't have the rights for that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> it, it has got this weird kind of psychedelia about it as well. I mean, I know when yeah. one of the characters eats um, like some sort of apple, and there's just this kind of floaty synthesizery kind of. I don't know, like a hallucinogenic quality about it, and it's certainly something that I haven't really seen in um, some of the other cannibal films. So even just on that note, yeah. it would be worth worth watching. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to get a release, and I, I really um, there are things about it that that um, I mean, I, I think the animal stuff is actually all from uh, Mondo movies. I think there's some stuff from uh, uh, what's what's it called, Brutes and Savages. Oh Brutes and yes, Savages, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think the the theme for the leopard, the kind of chuck a leopard into uh, uh, um, a river full of crocodiles, and mm. and obviously the, you know you can tell who's going to win that one. Um, and uh, and and I that's in Savage Terror, so you probably need to remove that. I don't, I mean, you wouldn't even lose anything. But yeah, mm. I mean, it's a film I'd really like to get out there. Uh, but I find you know I find Indo- as with all of Asia, I mean, I find Indonesia such a fascinating place, and I think that that film probably does deserve. You know some attention because basically mm. a remake of Last Cannibal World, but yeah. it's been made by Asians in a you know in Asia. Mm. And from what I can gather, it only got a theatrical release in Indonesia and in Thailand because mm. I've got I've got a Thai poster of it. I've got a brilliant Thai poster of Savage Terror, oh, wow. which I'm very fond of. Yeah. Yes, I mean it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see a lot more um, uh, um, Indonesian B films released in the UK and stuff. Mm. I think mm. I think that would be a that would be you know a positive. So well, I know that there's um. The, the the director of um, Savage Terror, Siswara uh, Guatama, uh, but what, I can't remember his last name. But um, he also did a, another Indonesian kind of cult movie, which is um, uh, the Warrior, I believe it's called, which also had um, the same star from Savage Terror. Um, oh, I can't remember his name now. It's uh, it'll come to me. But that one also is a kind of cult Indonesian movie that is utterly ridiculous, but very splattery, very very fun. And um, yeah. I think th- I think that's actually got a very 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 limited release um, from a, a, from somewhere in Europe, but it hasn't actually had a mainstream release. With it, so that one would also be of interest. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to see a lot more of these uh, these movies. Obviously, I mean, there's there's an interesting Indonesian film which was released in 1985, and it used to be shown every year in Indonesia, and it was kind of like a retelling of of. Um, uh, Suharto coming to power, and now now it's not shown anymore because it's so politically incorrect. So there's a whole bunch of stuff mm. um, to do with Indonesia, which you know probably needs a lot more attention, a lot more written about it. And mm. you know, that's why I always I always say, you know, I think I think it's so important for you know, especially young people to you know, if, if they do want to chase a any kind of academic career in film, to be exploring these areas because you know nobody's writing about these these things, and it's it's mm. frustrating for me because I want to learn more about it you know i mean this is why right now i'm writing about and documenting south african you know b cinema yeah. and black exploitation films because you know nobody nobody's writing about this stuff so you know somebody's got to but you know i'd mm. I'd, I'd never leave the house if i had to write about everything you know? <laughs> 
Well, actually, at the, at the moment, um, I'm actually writing a book at the moment. Uh, it, it's hopefully it's, I'm going to be covering uh, like all the main nasty titles, but also oh, cool. the, yeah, the films that are around the video nasty era. And, and actually, that's kind of why I, I started the podcast because um, all, all the fil- all the films that I'm covering on the podcast are actually going to be featured in the book, and it's kind of helping me to carry on watching films because I've, I've been neglecting it a little bit recently, really. And uh, okay. it, it, it's kind of helping me to watch a steady flow of films and write kind of sort of information on them and get as much uh, research done as I can. And it's helping me to kind of go towards the material in the book. So it's um, th- that's re- really the main reason why I started the podcast because it, it allows me mm-hmm. to do something I love doing. But also, it's helping me with my my bigger project, should we say? Um, okay. Yeah. So, well, it's probably not going to be out for a long time because I've got about 500 films to cover, which is a lot of work for me. So, um, it's um, it's it's a big project. But I was going to say, uh, you, you, when we were covering the um, the original Video Nasty trilogy, uh, funnily enough, my friends actually preferred out of all of them. Uh, the uh, it was Mountain of the Cannibal God. I mean, we watched Ferox, mm-hmm. yeah, and Holocaust. And I found it was really interesting the fact that they actually gravitated more towards Mountain of the Cannibal God more than the the other two. Because I mean, I I think Holocaust is definitely the strongest example. It's not necessarily the the most fun to watch, but um, but I, I actually really do like Mountain of the Cannibal God. What, what's your ta- what's your take on that one? I think it's a little bit long-winded and maybe a little dull, but um, but you know I like I like elements of it. I, I sort of think it's sort of you know it's got it's got a fun element to it. Um, I mean I can I can pretty much watch almost any Sergio Martino film and enjoy it. I mean I think I think that he's you know such a good filmmaker that he makes you know everything kind of interesting. I just think that Mountain of the Cannibal God it takes a, a very long time to get where it's going, and you know I wish it you know it could be sped up a little bit mm. you know but other than that yeah i mean it's still it's still a very watchable film i mean it's still a film that you know i think is 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 good you know yeah i think i think maybe that's why uh, my friends maybe gravitated towards it a bit because it's it's a little bit more watchable and a bit um like breezy i don't know how else to describe it like it's easy to yeah, kind yeah of... it is i mean especially with the sort of you know fairly whimsical soundtrack and everything but mm, mm. you know it's, it's still i think it's i think it's just a very how should i say i think it's uh i think it's a flawed film i think it's a slow film but mm. obviously it's got it's got a-list you know well, a-list-ish production values and stuff so mm. it looks a lot better than the other movies yeah it's, um, it's, but yeah it's it's, 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 fun. it's certainly a little bit more throwaway i think than um some mm. of the others i mean some of the the plot elements they, they kind of come in and then kind of go almost straight away i mean the the death of stacy keach's character i remember first watching it and kind of having to rewind it just straight away and think where did that just happen did he just die just and then it's never really kind of mentioned again and it is a bit kind of like oh i mean i've kind of grown used to kind of throw away elements in italian films now but i think when i first watched it i wasn't really prepared just for how kind of quickly they were going to discard uh, some elements of the plot especially because um yeah especially because susan's character you know but on by ursula andrus um mm. like her character clearly is you know not a nice character when it's revealed what she really wants but then she yeah ki- she kind of just gets saved like the damsel you know at the very end it's kind of like well do, don't you remember what she did i mean yeah it's a it's 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 a bit of a hoot kind of thing really it's not really as um as serious as something like a uh, ferox or a uh, well, I said no. I shouldn't say Ferox. Holocaust is definitely the most serious one. Ferox, yeah, yeah. Ferox definitely introduced some elements of uh, of cheesiness and uh, 
hyperbole, should we say? I mean, some of the characters, yeah, especially, especially Gio- Giovanni Lombardo Radice. I mean, his character is just so over the top. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like I say, I mean, there's things to like in these films. Obviously, things to be you know kind of offended by, but um, you know, the, the more I've written about them, the more I've documented them. You know, I do I do find them quite quite interesting and you know kind of silly in their own little way, but. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, I've I've written so much about them now. I sort I sort of feel that you know I'm probably I'm probably not needing to look at cannibal films again for a while. You know. Yeah, you're you're all um, you're all cannibaled out. <laughs> I'm all cannibaled out. Yeah, but like I say, I mean, I mean, we'll see we'll see what the future brings with 88 films and whether or not you know we're going to have a future making you know any more of these these Blu-rays or anything. And mm. um, because you know there's there's like I say, I mean, there's still work to be done in releasing these films, especially the ones that haven't had a Blu-ray release yet you know so um yeah i mean like i say i really hope that, that the shameless edition of mountain of the cannibal god you know i hope it i hope it comes with a lot of extras and you know kind of information on the film and stuff um i mean it's one of the, it's one of the frustrating things obviously if they films is they, they, you know they, they never have the extra features budget that arrow has so mm. it's it's you know it's, it's a battle to sort of try and get stuff on there that warrants the you know the the return that these that you know the, these often quite obscure films bring us you know mm. so um yeah, I mean it's 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 always kind of like you know juggling things and deciding what's going to have extras and you know what what's not you know. Mm. Yeah. So I thought I'll I'll pop in a little uh, joke thing as well because I mean I've I've got to um I've got to go in a minute yeah. because um my work no starts worries. in about ten minutes but uh, I promised I'd throw this question in just as a joke for sure. one of my friends. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you were a cannibal, what was what would be the first body part you'd eat? Um, if I was a cannibal, what would be the the first body part that I would I would eat? Um, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine being um, obviously a, a cannibal. No, 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 can I? It's just one of those jokey what, questions. What would what would be the first body part that I would? I, I would think eat? I think it's more of an in joke on part of my friend because uh, when we were watching these cannibal films, the first thing that you, uh-huh. you notice is kind of almost the first instance that the cannibals go for is like. Um, you know, male body, male body parts, should we say? I was going to say they go for the penis, don't they? I was actually about yes. to just answer that. Well, yeah. you know, I've learned from that that's the tastiest part. So, well, that's, well, that's what I mean. It, it is a bit of an odd thing because you do think it's like, <laughs> do they go for that? Is it meant to be like that? That's the tastiest part. I mean, is that what they're saying? It doesn't. It's never I, really I quite revealed. <laughs> I think. I think that's just sheer exploitation. I think that's just a way for you know Ruggiero and and Lindsay to. Um, to basically indicate that you know it's the ultimate male fear, isn't it? That you're, you know, you're going to be castrated. I mean, especially because they're, you know, you've got to remember these, especially Ruggiero are macho Italian men. So mm. you know, what's the biggest fear is having probably having your, you know, your genitals removed. Um, I don't know if if if, if I was uh, a cannibal, I guess. Um, I don't I don't want to to see the the, the Maybe maybe the eyeball. You know, I've seen I've seen people uh, in cannibal films go for the eyeball as well. Mm. And Zombie Holocaust did not do that. Yeah, I was just about so, to say there is that very nasty yeah. bit in uh, Zombie Holocaust. I mean, that's probably one of the the moments where even though it's it's not particularly say realistic, but it is very yeah, nasty. Yeah, but it pulls the eyeball out. Oh, what, can, what can I say? That scene in Zombie Holocaust, uh, the eyeball looked good, but the eyeball also looked as if it was it was made out of confectionery or something. So <laughs> maybe I'll have a a yeah. candy eyeball or something rather than a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, well, there's also that really, really kind of harrowing bit, I think, in Zombie Holocaust. Probably one of the most mean-spirited moments is when um, the the sort of mad doctor is uh, has cut that girl's uh, vocal cords and she's just there kind of... Oh, struggling. yeah, that is pretty nasty, isn't it? That, that, that is. That's a really nasty scene, yeah. It doesn't really go with the, 
the sort mm. of goofy tone of the film, does it? No. Um, I it's... mean, some of these, some the, the tone in these films is, is often all over the place, you know. So mm. you can you never get what you're what you can predict. I, I think the reason that they're mainly remembered is obviously in the UK at least they were banned, mm. and I think that caused a legend around them. But um, you know, I don't know for sure. I mean, some of some of the fans of these films are um, are very passionate about the uh, the movie and. Um, I think that uh, I think that you know it depends. Mm. Um, I think I think it is about those kind of two opposing things, and I think people. I mean, I, I especially like it is when you watch a film and yet yeah, the the tone is is thrashing wildly from from you know area to area. I mean, it's you can see it mostly in even the Mondo films that have like those really beautiful soundtracks by you know, people like Ritz Ortolani, and they're mm-hmm. kind of contrasting with these really really nasty kind of scenes and you're never quite sure where your stomach is settling like whether it's you know oh lovely music or oh you know barbarism so it's um it's one of the things with italian films that the tones are do shift but but i kind of like that i think i think that's kind of the i think that's kind of the point to some of them you know they kind of they wrench you from place to place and they kind of make you just feel generally unsettled yeah i mean very much i totally i totally agree with that i think that um it's it's interesting that these films from a long time ago are still you know are still kind of remembered and that we're still speaking about them and I think that that's you know that's a an interesting thing in itself isn't it that mm. you know we're still we're mm. still talking and and imagining these these, these movies you know so, well um, I've I've got to the yeah. stage now where I'm just uh, really I'm I'm constantly seeking out films from this era just to think you know like what what else can I discover because you know it's since because you know, the film world has changed and now we're actually we're getting some of those old films back on on modern media that it's it's kind of it's kind of a shame if you don't go out searching for, for some new material because i mean as much as films are made nowadays it's just it's a different era now and you don't really get the sort of films that you got back then now so it's really a bit it's a bit of a you're kind of short, selling yourself short if you don't go out and see these sorts of things yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and you know that's that's like I say that's that's important thing about ATA is to is to try and you know make sure that we can um, we can do stuff that's a little bit a little bit kind of radical and mm-hmm. and introduce fans to stuff they wouldn't otherwise have ever mm-hmm. ever thought about looking at you know yeah um, definitely so, yeah. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're we're doing another couple of cannibal films, but we're also doing a lot of slashers as well. So hopefully, maybe in the future, we could get um, a bit of a slashery type of interview of you later. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be that'd be fantastic. And, I mean, um, I mean, I, I mean, after the news of um, the House on Sorority Row coming out, I'm probably gonna add that sort of ad, kind of ad hockey to my schedule because I absolutely love the House the House on Sorority Row. It's such a cool film, isn't it? And that was it, such a cool film for us to get. I was really excited about it and. Really excited about being able to 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 get it for mm. 88 and it's, it's it's one of these things where i remember you know we're, we're talking about it and um uh you know with the licensor and then we got we got this email back which said actually another uk label has started to bid on house and sort of and we're just like oh, oh. god oh, no. you know because you, you, you sort of you sort of never want it to be you know you, you sort of obviously want to get in there before someone um, else the yeah. other the other company sort of sniffing at it, you know. So, um, but but we're we're happy. We obviously, you know, put in a better offer and we managed to get it. So, we're really happy to get that that title. Um, and, and obviously, you know, getting toolbox murders and stuff. I mean, it's all been, it's really great. I mean, you know, the the thing is, you know, the home video market. Obviously, you know, it's it's uh, it's not what it once was. But there's so many films out there that are still, you know, crying out for a release, and it's mm. just really great that you know. 
you know, you feel pretty good when you're able to get some of them that release, you know. That's good. I mean, a lot of the films that I tend to, like, I've got a lot of movies where I'm having to replace them with the 88 version because, I mean, I've got I've got a copy of the Toolbox Murders, but it is um, the, the censored version. So when the... Oh, that's, yeah, that's ex- Exactly, so that's what I mean. And, and, and there is, I've got a copy of The House on Sorority Row too, but it's a very, very muddy D- DVD print. And, you know, it's just, I'm just, whenever something's announced, I tend to think, oh, great, now I've got a, I've got a decent copy now that I can replace it with. So I just end up replacing lots of the, the films that I've already got just with um, just with new versions really. That's the, that tends to be my shopping list really lately. It's just um, Yeah, I mean I mean you know, say, same here. I mean um, I mean what I think's really exciting about the, the period that we're in is that so many films are coming out in new scans and stuff, you know, and uh, um, I think it's I think I think it's I think it's great, you know. Um, I uh, I think it, I think it's brilliant that now we're in a now now that we're in an, an, an era uh, where, you know, so many of our favourite movies are are um are getting you know these these wonderful releases i mean that's mm. you know that's that's what's so exciting you know i know uh, mm. yeah i mean i mean it's it's i mean what we've got planned for 2018 is going to i think really you know surprise a lot of people and and you know it's going to be a lot more obscure but certainly a lot more interesting stuff and and that's you know that's exciting to us you know really really carry on with it because i mean i for one love them i'm sure lots of people uh, absolutely loving what 88 films are doing and i uh, can't can't cheers, wait for it, can't wait for a future announcements to be honest uh, you know keep them coming <laughs> yeah some great slashers coming up um and uh, and like i say just just lots of other great stuff coming up as well which you know yeah it's exciting it's exciting to to me you know mm-hmm. to, to be in the middle of this i mean you know if we, if we can't if we wouldn't be if we wouldn't be excited about it you know so yeah it's all pretty all pretty good stuff all right Right, uh, well, I think I'm going to have to leave it there then definitely now, uh, Callum. Cheers. Uh, I've, got, I've got, got people coming in the office now, so <laughs> I'm starting to get funny. No worries, no worries. <laughs> uh, all right. All right, cool. um, all right, I'll speak to you soon then, hopefully, Callum, and uh, have enjoy right. the rest of your day, mate. Okay. All right, thank you very much, sir. I really appreciated this and looking forward to the podcast. All right, take all care. All right, thank you very much, Callum. All right, speak Bye-bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was the wonderful Callum Waddle. So huge thanks to him for being such a great sport. And as I've mentioned before, we'll probably have another chat with him in future about the rich slasher film Treasure Trove. But if, by the way, if you're interested further in the cannibal genre, uh, you can pick up a bunch of examples that are out now on various DVDs and Blu-rays in the UK now. So Man from Deep River, um, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, Massacre in Dinosaur Valley and Zombie Holocaust are all available from 88 films, uh, the last of which has Callum's documentary, uh, Eaten Alive, The Rise and Fall of the Italian Cannibal Film. Uh, Shameless Films have also got a couple with uh, Love Goddess of the Cannibals, um, a pretty much intact version of Cannibal Holocaust, and a brand new release of uh, Mountain of the Cannibal God coming very, very shortly. Uh, Some of the lesser ones, like uh, Cannibal Terror um, and uh, Eaten Alive, they're also available in various forms on DVD, uh, but they're quite old now and they haven't really been updated since. But um, if you are interested, please do seek them out. And uh, if you, we are covering some more later on in the show, so uh, please do send any feedback or any uh, any thoughts that you have about um, special interviews like this one. But uh, that for now, uh, I'll see you in the next episode of the Nasty Pasty podcast. So goodbye, everyone, and take care.